Good morning. Sunday morning. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Wrong Think Radio. I'm your host, Aaron, broadcasting from George Washington's boyhood home in Stafford, Virginia. And I'm not and sure. I'm coming from the lovely and sunny greater Seattle metropolitan area. I thought maybe Alan exploded for a second there. This is Wrong Think Radio. This is our two-hour live show that we put on every single Sunday to bring you guys our facts and analysis of all the craziness that's going on within the world, everything that's happening in media, and how we're going to be able to relate that to uh, real things that are going on and break through the propaganda and make sense of all of the silly news. And, you know, we're, we're heading in. It's October, so we are in the final stretch going into the midterm elections. And so everything that we talk about has to be focused on how are the decisions that are being made influencing the midterm elections? Because understand, when it comes to the media, when it comes to the Democrat Party, when it comes to your late night comedians, everybody is hyper focused on wanting to uh, like maintain control. There's a lot going on that suggests that there is like the death knell and the psychopathy of the left and of the Democrat Party that would lead everyone to believe that they're 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 at a well, there's a little bit of a Kanye joke in here, but they're at DEFCON 3 on trying to figure out how they're going to navigate a world where a lot of basically I would say global liberalism is being roundly dismissed. Mm-hmm. People I mean it's like we we've talked about it obviously in past shows you have you know European elections where people are going quote far right. Um you have you have a lot of uh, locales throughout the United States that have rejected school board members. They've completely, uh, several cities have completely gotten rid of their school boards because of all the crazy left-wing stuff that they've been trying to push. And so there is a reasonable kickback that is occurring, a pushback that is occurring within the United States where people are rejecting uh, the foundations of the like global liberal project. And there's been a lot of indications that there's basically a freak out happening on the left because of it. And so now we have to look at, well, what are they going to do? Because they're getting desperate, right? And desperation's never a good thing for a crazy enemy, especially an enemy that thinks uh, that everything that they're doing is for the greater good or some nonsense like that. They think they're saving the world, I think would be the best way to put it. Well, they absolutely do, and I think that's the – I honestly think that's sort of the crux of why they're going to fail, is their view of the world is fundamentally wrong, and the more they try to force the changes they want, the further they're going to drift away from anything true or real. Right, yeah, and it's it's scary in a sense. Uh, So – I, I think I think the first thing that that we're going to kind of jump into here 
Um, and we'll, we'll touch on this throughout uh, the show. We'll do some smaller stories as well, but I really want to get on this one is U.S. intelligence agencies uh, a few days ago on the 5th came out and stated that the Ukrainian government was behind the car bomb attack that killed uh, Daria Dugina, which is the daughter of Alexander Dugan, uh, who was for all intent and purpose just a political philosopher? Yeah, I would I would put, say, akin to someone like Jordan Peterson, for example. Okay. Because that's, that's what's very confusing is he, as far as I know, like they, they call him, that's the problem, is they call him Putin's ideologue. And yeah, I don't know. That's, that's what's uh, very, very confusing is like, so he's a political philosopher is the big thing. They call him an ultra nationalist. Basically this is the problem. The Western media does everything that they can to, to almost like play apologetic when a car bomb went off, like a car bomb went off and it killed a girl, you know, (laughs) it it killed the daughter of somebody who's not even in the government. It killed the daughter of somebody who's basically a political philosopher. Um, And it's fascinating because I remember when this happened, we talked about it on the show when this happened. And according to, uh, you know, Volodymyr Zelensky, we had nothing to do with it. They had absolutely, you know, they had absolutely nothing to do with it. And then uh, journalists have even asked, saying, quote, the United States has suggested that Ukraine was involved in a re- in the recent murder of a Russian Russian journalist, Daria Dugina, whose car was blown up. Could you tell me if there was any truth to this? And he responds back with, we had nothing to do with it. But according to U.S. intelligence, which according to the left is, you know, the gold standard for literally anything. Uh, said that they do believe uh, that it was a secret, secret operation conducted from within the Ukrainian government. Right. Which would, if we are going to classify that as a essentially terrorist bombing, it makes the Ukrainian government a state sponsor of terror, which is then illegal to provide military aid to. We have We have laws about this. Right. Because it's, yeah, it's a political assassination. There's no other real way to view it. What's amazing is when this happened, so this this occurred on the 20th of August. And when this occurred, there were so many people who started claiming that it was a conspiracy theory that it was, uh, that it was Ukraine. And that there were even legitimate people out there, like not just random people on Twitter. There were journalists and, you know, national security, you know, former national security people that were like, well, Russia probably did it so they could blame Ukraine. And this yeah. is the, this is the problem that I think some of our, some of our audience has, has an issue grasping when they get upset about us talking about Ukraine and talking about the media's coverage of it is this is exactly it. When this occurred, ever anyone with half a brain looked at this and went, "Well, let's be honest here. This only benefits Ukraine, and so the most likely perpetrator of it would have been Ukraine." 
And sure, we leave the door open for the potential of false flags, of course. But everyone else goes, no, it absolutely had to have been a false flag. There's zero way, uh, you know, Ukraine wouldn't do this. They're the Avengers. They're the greatest thing, gift to democracy, blah, blah, blah. And they get upset when we constantly point out this is why we don't trust anything in Western media, because they all said it had to have been Russia. It had to have been Russia. It had to have been Russia. Now, U.S. intelligence is saying, and by the way, you have to understand, are there things that U.S. intelligence says that we say are complete bullshit? hundred percent. Are there absolutely political operators that abuse U.S. intelligence and their assessments and, and, and their statements, you know, like the... 50 different former U.S. uh, intelligence uh, professionals who claimed that the Hunter Biden laptop was Russian disinformation. Can they be full of crap? 100% absolutely. But when it's going along with the globalist regime narrative, I want to know how the hell it even got out. Sure. Yeah. Because there's zero people in the global American empire regime or whatever you want to call it. There's zero people in the deep state that wanted to acknowledge this. Yeah. So then that, and I, I feel, has to mm-hmm. be accounted for. That yeah. there's so much effort being placed on making Ukraine look like the unequivocal good guys that anything that comes across comes across as negative to the public basically a pr anything that's negative pr for ukraine clearly is something that the media the u.s government would prefer is not discussed so if Mm -hmm. it is so blatant that it does reach everyone's ears then it's almost likely to be true and if not much worse yeah yeah if not much worse and of course we're we're bringing this up because Inevitably, we have to talk about the fact that the bridge between Crimea and Russia had a truck bomb on it that exploded. Yeah, which is seemingly a big deal. And and before anybody wants to get into the, maybe this one's also another one false flag. Like, maybe Russia's blowing up its pipeline, which is the only way that it can... Uh, uh, influence Europe or maybe Russia's killing its uh, the the daughter of of its own political philosophers and maybe Russia's yeah. blowing up their own bridges all to get Zelensky or whatever um all to all and, to make sure that they get continue to get billions in foreign aid from foreign sources <laughs> yeah like instead of going down that road uh because it's ridiculous um I think it's kind of reasonable when you see Ukraine blew up a car trying to kill a political philosopher in Moscow. It was less about the political philosopher and more about killing somebody who's considered close to Putin's circle in Moscow. Like that was a message that was being sent and it was a political assassination. Then you have the Nord Stream pipelines blow up. Then you have a truck that explodes on the bridge between Crimea and Russia. It's pretty easy to sit, look at this and go, Hey guys, uh, we may need to reevaluate Ukraine because they're kind of becoming a terrorist state. It's one thing 
and I'll give a little bit of runway to people. It's one thing if you support the idea of Ukraine fighting in a war and Russia coming in there and they should fight for their own sovereignty and all of that. It is a completely separate situation if you're going to sit there and defend killing civilians with car bombs, blowing up bridges, and blowing up pipelines, all because you've basically been told by every Western government that you will not be held accountable for any of these things that, and bear in mind, I'm a huge fan of winning war at all costs, but places like NATO or organizations like NATO and organizations like the United Nations have rules. And according to the liberals who are flying Ukrainian flags and telling everybody that if you don't agree with it, you're a fascist terrorist or whatever, they're obsessed with those rules, yet here we are. It appears that Ukraine is committing acts of terrorism as defined by the global liberals. Right. And I think that it is one of these things where it is understandable. It's like people will make the claim, well, Ukraine was invaded by Russia. Sure. The problem, okay, one of the things I think about the Ukrainian crisis Ukrainian war that needs to be at the top of everyone's mind continuously is the American government views this as a way to play the opposite side in the war on terror against a foreign adversary. The goal of the American government is to look at this and they're all operating after having spent the last few decades fighting the war on terror, fighting the global, the, in Afghanistan and Iraq, fighting all of these insurgencies. Well, a lot of them look at this and rub their hands together in glee, thinking we can finally support these same sort of activities that we had to suffer through against someone else. And so viewed in that light, it's absolutely it makes a lot of sense that people in the U.S. State Department would view activities that we would consider, say, terrorism to be absolutely within the playbook and absolutely something they can finally engage in. They see it as we were in Afghanistan and they were blowing up convoys. They were planting IEDs. They were attacking infrastructure. We can finally have a blank check to do exactly that. We saw how effective it was against the United States forces. And we're relishing the idea that we can do that to someone else. The goal of this, it's, always bears remembering that the people making these decisions are not doing so in a vacuum. They're making these decisions based on previous experience. And everyone in the government has spent the last 20 years with the experiences of the war on terror. And they are seeing all of this through that lens, which I just feel like is important to recognize because it explains so much of their behavior. It explains why they look at this with why they feel no compunction against supporting Ukraine to do things, if not actively encouraging Ukraine to go down this path, because they see it as we can fight. We were mired down and wasted huge amounts of blood and treasure in Iraq, trying to occupy Iraq and Afghanistan. If we can, in not if we can do that sort of thing against an adversary, we can absolutely bring them low the way we were brought low by these same activities. 
No, and that's and that's exactly it. And I mean, certainly the like you you can see the Western influence here. Like I, I think now it's it's really funny because you know a year or two ago. Uh, you and I would be, you know, kind of pulling our hair out, watching people debate whether or not the U.S. would involve itself in proxy wars and, you know, like all this other stuff. Those were always considered uh, conspiracy theories. And now they're just blatantly happening. Right. Like right. everyone knows what's going on. And it's like, guys, come on. Like. You see what this is. Right. And what's happening now is instead of people saying, oh, man, I can't believe that. I used to think that the U.S. would never involve itself in proxy wars. I've been so wrong. Instead, they just turn around and go, well, it's super okay because democracy or something. And, you know, I mean, I don't I don't need to go down, go down the rabbit hole and keep, you know, beating the dead horse of if you keep using democracy as the term that covers up a lot of these you know, activities that are obviously considered wrong and unpalatable. Just don't be surprised when everybody decides that democracy is not the way to go. Um, but at the same time, it's it's strange because if I were wearing a tinfoil hat, I would believe that a bunch of people, a bunch of right-wing accelerationists, and for those of you who don't know what an accelerationist is, it is somebody who believes it has to get worse to get better, uh, that we need to go further down the line of what someone might consider awful for everyone to realize how bad it is and then have a such a fierce reaction that it can never happen again. That's kind of the, the basic concept behind what is accelerationism. If I were wearing a tinfoil hat, I would say that accelerationists are secretly influencing international events to try to prove how much global liberalism is insane. Because the idea that the United States continually is pumping billions and billions of dollars into the hands of Zelensky while he's blowing up cars and bridges and pipelines, um, that wasn't enough to wake people up. And so it's almost as if somebody came down and was like, okay, we really have to get these people to realize how stupid this is. And what I mean by that is here's a quote from Zelensky where he says that NATO should make it possible, make it impossible for Russia to use nuclear weapons Preemptive strikes are needed so that they know what awaits them if they use nuclear weapons, not the other way around, waiting for Russia's nuclear strikes and then saying, oh, you've done that, then get this. Zelensky said that NATO should reconsider how it uses its pressure. Fascinating. Yeah. To me, that sounds like a lot of people in the U.S.'s military establishment seem to be being very cavalier with the brinksmanship with a nuclear-armed opponent. It's like everybody... And what's crazy is all of these people cut their teeth during the Cold War. Mm-hmm. Like The vast majority of people in the U.S. defense establishment, in the U.S. government, lived through the Cold War. Their careers started during the Cold War. And I guess in violation of what I just said about their experiences coloring their 
current you know programs and views, they suddenly seem to think, well, the Cold War was no big deal. It was totally fine. And um, we can just be extremely cavalier and risky about the about being this hostile with a nuclear armed state. Yeah, that just is. It, it's extremely surprising to me, and I don't really know where it comes from. Well, and 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 that's the that's the weird part is there has been a lot coming out of the establishment uh, that seems suggestive. Um, basically they're trying, like, it appears that the political establishment on the left is attempting to desensitize Americans to the idea of nuclear war. And it makes zero sense, but real quick, I'm going to play a clip, uh, from CNN where retired general Mark Kimmett, who was the secretary of state for uh, military and political affairs, where he also pushes this idea of nu- a nuclear exchange. Here's the clip. CNN has learned that the U.S. Oh, I'm sorry. Developing contingency plans for possible Russian escalation in its war in Ukraine, including the potential use of tactical nuclear weapons. Also, the possibility of what one source described as a nuclear display that would be something short of a nuclear strike, including the possibility of a military strike on the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. Joining me now to discuss retired Brigadier General Mark Kimmett, he's former Assistant Secretary of State for Political Military Affairs, also former Deputy Director for Plans and Strategy at USNCOP. General, good to have you on this morning. Hi, Jim. How are you? So this shows how seriously the U.S. is taking these Russian nuclear threats. They've been developing contingency plans for some time. I wonder, can you describe what such contingency plans might involve? Well, I think, first of all, there's the the public uh, face of all of this, which is how we communicate to Russia uh, what we're prepared to do, what we're not prepared to do. Uh, my personal view is I think we ought to be deliberately vague on what we are prepared to do. Uh, anytime you draw a red line, uh, that that uh, commits you to a certain course of action. Look, I think it's fairly simple to uh, lay down the options. It could be uh, the soft side of it, which is doubling down on sanctions, doubling mm-hmm. down on export controls, uh, ranging all the way to a, a nuclear response of our own and everything mm-hmm. in between. Wow. Uh, we are a constitutional republic. Yeah. So it's uh, it's interesting that they're trying to kind of lay this groundwork and this idea. And additionally, Biden was in front of donors this week and he started to, he started also saying that you know, oh, we're closer to nuclear Armageddon than we have been since the Cuban Missile Crisis. And maybe I'm crazy, but this all seems disconnected. Agreed. Like, why? What is so important about Ukraine that we would be taking these risks? Well, it's it's not even. Well, we'll get to that in a second because I do think that that's a really good point. But what I mean is, it's like I haven't seen that much that is really that. I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. There hasn't been that much actually coming out of Russia to make me believe that they are 
in direct intent of using nuclear weapons. Uh, Everything that I've seen that these people are laying the groundwork for this on is merely Putin saying, you know, you probably shouldn't push us too hard because we do have nukes. Like just annotating the fact that they are a nuclear armed country, which by the way is also not uncommon. Like this, I guess that's what I'm trying to say is the rhetoric in Russia hasn't changed. The reaction rhetoric to Russia has absolutely changed in the West. And that change has been that suddenly they're taking rhetoric that is relatively commonplace when you talk about how Putin talks uh, and they're acting like it's brand new, even though provably you can point to where it's not. And they go, oh, this is exactly why we should start launching nuclear weapons. Yeah, which is baffling to me. What's the point of this? Why would we be taking these risks? And to your point, why for Ukraine? Weapons is true. Why is Ukraine worth it? Mm-hmm. What is it? And I guess the question then becomes, what does Russia even want in Ukraine? Does well, anyone have and, an idea? Does anyone know? Well, I'm Are I'm we going to even t- willing to ask. <laughs> I'm going to tell you that what everyone has been told, and I, I want to get this. I may have already said it, but I want to make sure that I'm saying it clearly, so it's here and it's it's you know recorded in audio and memorialized on the internet. Mm-hmm. The claim has always been from the West that Putin's intent was to completely take over Ukraine, which is inherently not true and complete. BS. Like that's likely never been the intent. It was never part of the plan. It seems pretty obvious that the plan has always been to take the pro-Russian Russian sectors of Ukraine, primarily the majority of the people, um, primarily the areas in Ukraine that feel the most disenfranchised after the coup uh, in 2014. More than likely, those regions are where Russia is going to just add area. They're going to take over the primarily Russian areas of Ukraine that are extremely pissed off and have been involved in an open civil war with uh, the Ukrainian government. With that being said, it doesn't matter because the Western media is going to lie to everyone. And even worse, the national security establishment is so stupid that they'll believe their own lies and think that Vladimir Putin's intent was always to completely take over Ukraine and crush Kiev and then tell themselves that look at how much Putin is losing. He's not even doing the thing that he set out to do that we totally made up. And so he must be losing. And then they're going to look with shock when Putin's like, okay, I've taken the Eastern half of Ukraine. This is mine now. And Right. They're going to try to turn that around and go, herder der, look at how dumb Putin is acting like he won a victory when he didn't get all of Ukraine, yeah. even if that wasn't the intent. And that could have the opposite intent of Putin going, oh, okay, um, I guess I will take all of Ukraine now, you dicks. Like, I don't know. <laughs> The thing is, Ukraine's was never going to win. Russia, okay, a, the big difference, like I said, they a lot of people in the national security in, environment in, look at this as though this is going to be like the U.S. in Afghanistan. 
or the U.S. and Iraq. Russia is fundamentally not serious. They are just going to, they're going to be like the U.S. and Iraq. That's the frame with which they view this. But that frame is fundamentally wrong because the United States did not annex Iraq. And in nearly the way that Putin has annexed chunks of Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Putin is taking responsibility for the invasion in a way the U.S. never intended to and never did with Iraq or Afghanistan. And that is a huge difference and something which is why, which explains why I think these people are getting it so badly. Because they view it as, well, he's just, well, all we have to do is inflict enough casualties and Russia's just going to leave. But I don't believe that by the sheer fact that they have annexed these territories, that totally changes the game. Imagine if the United States had annexed Iraq and basically said, this territory is now ours forever. We're going to, we would, we would fight for that so much harder and more differently than we actually did. So in the future, what is Russia going to do? If Russia, if these areas of Ukraine that the Russians now claim are part of of Russian territory come under actual attack. Let's say the Russian lines totally break. They are failing in Ukraine. All of that comes to fruition. You know, everything the Ukrainian supporters want comes to fruition. And the glorious Ukrainian freedom fighters rush in to start taking over the areas of eastern Ukraine claimed by Russia. Well, now Ukraine is invading Russian territory and Russia will just keep calling up massive reserves of troops to respond. This, this isn't just them getting tired and going home. That is never going to, that is not in the cards for Russia. It's not in the cards for Putin. And it is, I think, the folly of the United States to think that that's the case. To think that, oh, all we have to do is, is it's like they believe the Russians are as feckless and cowardly as the U.S. state, as the United States State State Department. As well, we'll just inflict a bunch of casualties, and it'll be like Vietnam. It'll be like Vietnam or Afghanistan for the Soviets, where you know we just will make the war so unpopular in Russia, we'll cause all these casualties that the Russians will just pack up and go home. Fundamentally, no, that is not going to happen. It is going to be much more akin to say the U.S. annexation of Texas, where the Mexican military was fighting the Texans. The United States claimed ownership of Texas after the Alamo. And then the United States marshaled all of its forces to utterly crush the Mexican army to, to not give up their annexation claim. Why would it benefit Russia to give up these areas of Ukraine? There's nothing, it doesn't, they're not going to do that. They're not going to do that when they can call up massive numbers of of military personnel in a way that dwarfs whatever Ukraine can put on the field to just continue to crush the Ukrainians that try and stop them. It, It doesn't make sense. There is no way out of this conflict where the areas annexed by Russia are returned to Ukraine, wow, short of a full nuclear exchange with Russia or short of the United States basically declaring World War III, which ends in a nuclear exchange with Russia. The Russians have to be beaten militarily in order to give up this territorial claim, and they will not. And that is not possible unless World War III is initiated. And this is this is why I cannot understand what the end goal. I can't understand how people in the West 
have any idea, have any semblance of what an end goal would look like where Russia just packs up and goes home. It's almost as if they are projecting that Russia is so weak and cowardly that that's going to happen. They look at Russia and go, well, they're probably like us. And, you know, we're just going to get like, we'll get, they'll see a bunch of dead Russian soldiers on TV, just like we saw in Vietnam. And then they're going to all like start protesting Putin. Uh, and that's fundamentally a bad read on the situation because they're going to see a bunch of dead Russian soldiers on TV and say, Russia is being invaded because that is what they've done. They said they've annexed the territory. Russia proper is being invaded. Are the Russians like Russian citizens are just going to keep demanding blood. And what are we going to do? Oh, we'll sanction you. We've already sanctioned them this hard, so hard that there's there's nothing they have to lose by mobilizing their entire military to utterly crush Ukraine. And the only reason they're not doing that is because they are, I think, worried that it's going to tr- that the United States is stupidly going to trigger World War Three over continuing to protect the investments of Joe Biden. Well, and. You know, what? what's interesting is, you know, you bring up the like, we're going to, you know, we're going to keep pushing this propaganda to make the war so unpopular in Russia that they'll have to pull out. And that likely was at least somewhat of a thought process. But man, it's awfully, they, they've made it awfully difficult when you're, like we said before, blowing up cars, killing, uh, killing civilians, um, blowing up bridges and blowing up pipelines. Yeah. Do you think that people in Russia now understand that according according to the West, Russia's, you know, this crazy dictatorship that only has propaganda news channels. So these people are only ever fed information that's going to be pro pro Kremlin, uh, which is right. immediately I'm very concerned over the fact that there can be protests in Russia. I'm still confused how this happens, but let's not, you know, the consistency in liberal media is never something that I've uh, ever anticipated happening. So there's these massive protests in Russia, even though supposedly they're all crushed under the boot of a dictator and can't get news from the outside. But I digress. Point is, do you think that Russian people are going to be more likely or less likely to support what Vladimir Putin is saying about Ukraine after they've blown up a car in Moscow, after they've blown up pipelines, and after they've blown up a bridge in what is considered exactly. Russian territory. This is exactly my point. Mm-hmm. None of these actions are doing anything to encourage the Russian people to stop supporting Putin, to have the big color revolution finally in Russia, to overthrow this the evil oligarchy of Putin and friends. If anything, all of these actions are only hardening the heart of Russians to look at the West and say, these people are absolutely our enemies and cannot be allowed to take to and cannot be allowed to violate our sovereignty. If I was Russian, I would look at the United States and think, if we lose to these people, if we are put under the thumb of the American government like the Ukrainians are, they will do absolutely everything to punish and ruin us in every way possible. And there is no benefit to us at all compromising with the West. Oh yeah. If I, if I was, if I was somebody in Russia uh, and I was apt enough, you know, as, as I am now to understand like the Democrat rhetoric, the liberal rhetoric. So you take a look at a, you know, the president like Joe Biden being a Democrat and everybody else, uh, that's involved in his national security team. 
if I was apt enough to know what I know now, but I'm working in Russian political affairs and say working for their version of what it, whatever it is, the, uh, their secretary of state, the ministry of foreign affairs, um, I'm 100% advising everybody in the Russian government that everything we do has to keep the West at bay because they have signaled either true or not that Russia is the greatest threat to the West to Western Europe. And therefore they must be destroyed by any means necessary. Now, from what I see here, and like you like you mentioned earlier, it would 100% be they want to murder us because they've been laundering money in Eastern Europe and places like Ukraine. They're absolutely corrupt and we're revealing it. And their degeneracy, if ever faced any real tangible public scrutiny everyone would abandon the would abandon their project because of just how disturbing and creepy it all is so they have no other choice but to murder us all right like right you can't look at the rhetoric from the democrat party over the last 6 years and not think that nuking moscow is 100% on the table far more on the table than Putin thinking about nuking nuking Kiev, right? It's like, how would you look at it and look at not only the mass a massive amount of money and aid and support that keeps being given to uh, Zelensky, and come to any conclusion other than the West will stop at nothing to hobble Russia, especially right. after we had such we had relatively decent relations for so long how if you were a russian how would you look at and go we tried peaceful coexistence and clearly they don't want it clearly they would scorn our offers of peaceful coexistence like we tried in order to expand nato for the only reason for reasons we can only assume are to our detriment how does it how does it possibly benefit russia to cooperate with the United States anymore. They have nothing to gain. And by our by our own actions, they have nothing, we have nothing to offer them. Well, and if you want to get an idea how shallow, like to 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 frame this properly, we are looking at the potential of a nuclear exchange. Be, yeah. And entirely, that potential seems to be celebrated on the left. Democrat politicians, national security wonks for the regime, all of these people are signaling basically support for right. a nuclear exchange to include the beggar prince himself, Zelensky, demanding a preemptive strike from nato and if you want to know right. how shallow the reason for like take a second and forget the propaganda that everyone's been fed for the last six years which is suddenly 
because uh, four or five years ago, Allen did an entire hilarious segment where he explained the Democrat opinion of Vladimir Putin, where he talked about how previously we were making deals with Vladimir Putin, but then Vladimir Putin took over and now he's bad. Yeah, was, remember there was an entire rush, the, the Russian reset as it was hailed under Obama. Right. You're headed by the likes of Hillary Clinton. Like there's going to be this Russian reset. It's all going to be great. So we're going to be friends with the Russians now where there's no need for all this animosity. That's a thing of the past. That's the silly Cold War thinking. And then what changed? The only thing that changed was the United States. Right. Yeah. That's it. Like the United States just basically decided, well, you know, we're not actually going to reset with Russia. Right. And that we're was not because actually going to try and be friends with them we're just going to try and destroy them yeah and i think i think it's it's reasonable to to point out that the the only real tangible change was the corruption of the democrat party was revealed prior to the 2016 election and they lost because of the disgust of the american people and they blamed russia for it whether accurately or inaccurately sort of doesn't matter point is is that the democrats blamed the russians for revealing their corruption understand all of those email leaks they've never said that they were untrue they've only ever right. bitched about the fact that it was a hack right like you're supposed to be more upset that the russians hacked dnc servers than you are that the dnc is super corrupt was uh, hand in glove with the media was spitting on, you know, their own constituents and was trying to make up a bunch of BS stories about their opponents and get them fed into the media to um, basically trick voters and lie to them to their faces. So un just that's that bears repeating. But you say America changed. And I have the perfect example here, something that encapsulates why these people are frothing at the mouth to start World War III and a nuclear exchange. And it's extremely yeah. shallow and simple. And this example is given to me by none other than Drag Queen Story Hour supporter uh, and advocate David French. Uh, supposed <laughs> principal conservative, principled conservative and drag queen story outer advocate, drag queen story hour advocate David French says in a tweet this morning, the world's most powerful Christian nationalist, the anti woke Vladimir Putin, has launched his holy war. His tanks are burning in the fields. And his raping, looting, murdering army is in retreat. What can we learn? That's not true. <laughs> well, seeing past the bullshit, the world's most powerful Christian nationalist, the anti-woke Vladimir Putin. So understand, understand this. This is what this is what David French is saying. If you're a Christian nationalist, you're the same as Vladimir Putin. If you're anti-woke, you're the same as Vladimir Putin. So to be a good person, you can't be Christian. You can't be Christian 
and you can't be nationalist. You certainly can't be a Christian nationalist. If you're a good person, you can't be anti-woke. So you, you can't want America to be put first. You can't want Christian principles to be, which by the way, this is the same guy who writes stories all the time about whether or not you're a good Christian all the time. Mm-hmm. So he writes this crap, you know, you, you can't be, you can't be somebody who thinks that the, that the nation, um, should, should post itself basically towards Christian principles, you know, as intended when they built the country, like let's not fool ourselves. Um, but, but you can't, you can't be somebody who's solidly Christian, even though he claims to be, you can't be somebody who wants to put America first and American principles first, even though he claims to be a conservative, you can't be either of those things. And you certainly can't be anti-woke. Well, what's it mean to be anti-woke? It means to be against transgender surgeries for children, because that in reality is what anti-wokeness is. It's being against the constant inundation of our kids with LGBTQ nonsense in every children's program. It's not wanting to base everything on race and be obsessed with constantly fomenting a race war in the United States. It's not bending the knee to every victim class that's made up at Harvard. That's being anti-woke. And according to supposed principled conservative David French, that makes you Vladimir Putin. And the weirdest thing about that is if you play speeches from Putin, He's right. What David French is basically saying is like, if I'm get, if I'm to take what he said in this tweet, pushing his dumb story um, that he wrote for the dispatch, if I'm going to take it at face value, then what he is saying is that if you support democracy, let's say, and you want to be against Putin, you have to accept all the CRT, LGBTQ, constant inundation, destruction of the nuclear family, uh, ripping children away from parents. We're going to get to this later in the program. FBI arresting pro-life protesters. You have to accept all of that or else you're a big, bad, evil, you know, Putin supporter. Yeah. If those are the two choices, I'm not going for the crazed left-wing nonsense. Like, I, I'm sorry. I don't care what names you call me. But if those are my two choices, I'm going to be against the uh, crazy Bernie Sanders, AOC, Joe Biden wing of the Democrat Party. Agreed. So They, I, they, they offer me nothing. Like Yeah. If my choices are some sort of Christian nationalism or the left, what what, what does the left have to offer me other right. than just despair and destruction? Yeah, and that's exactly it. And according to idiots like this guy, you should choose despair and destruction. The weirdest part is, like, he really, somebody... And maybe he'll learn it because I've seen some of this happening where the left starts attacking even the most milk toast of conservatives and then everybody acts shocked and I'm laughing my ass off over it. It is 
insane if he doesn't think they won't come for him. Right. Like it is that this this fairy tale that some of these idiots who claim to be conservative live in where the left is just going to wake up one day and decide that they don't hate you and want you dead is insane to me. Yeah. And that's clearly what a lot of these never Trump conservatives operate on is, well, if we just weren't so nice, then none of the bad things would happen. And I, I feel that's a very, that's not borne out by any reality. Yeah, certainly not. It, and, and, and I mean, you could always honestly, it's like, well, what has that ever worked? What, what, when's, what's an example of the right being so understanding that the left leaves them alone? Right. And I can't think of one. Well, maybe if we're just nice to them, um, I mean, that's, that's the real thing, right? Is it's just, well, you know, I don't want to fight back like the left fights, you know, they've taken over academia and media and they've infested everything else. And, you know, you, you can't read a book or watch a television show or go to a concert without having some left-wing nonsense pounded in your face. But we're not going to do that, guys, because it's just so bad. I'm sure it'll all just work out in the end. We're just so principled. That we're just so I, principled. Yeah. What What are the principles get us? Uh, that's, it, that's what I always wonder. If we're, if we're so principled, these principles don't seem like they're doing anything positive for us other than preventing us from ta- doing what's necessary. Oh, certainly. Yeah, no, it's – and it, it's – it's absolutely insane to me. And, mm-hmm. but, but it's also not shocking. I mean, um, that's one of the things uh, I'll, I'll touch on it because we don't need to get too deep into the story, um, but we'll shift gears here a little bit and go into some of the midterm stuff that's happening. Um, unless you, do you have anything additional on this, Alan? I don't want to. Not particularly. Particularly. Okay, good. Um, other, other than the fact that it also came out this week that the United States is also has a large number of special operations personnel active within Ukraine, which basically means we do have boots on ground in Ukraine, whether anybody likes it or not. And that I feel is going to cause us no small measure of hurt in the coming years. And my big worry about all of this is that we are pushing you Russia through our lethal support of Ukraine, including, but not limited to, the CIA most likely coordinating with U.S. special operations and Ukrainian intelligence attacks on Russian infrastructure, probably coming attacks on Russian civilians. Well, actually, attacks on Russian civilians like we saw in Moscow. Whether the United States is actually behind these things, the attack on the pipeline, the attack on uh, Alexander Dugan, the attack on this bridge, what matters is the United States has thrown so much support behind Ukraine that the there's no way the Russians could look at the United States and think they're not behind these things. Mm-hmm. The Russian state Duma recently announced that if the United States continues to support Ukraine in the in the way that we have, they will recommend attacks on. They will recommend a declaration of war against the United States. And the worry is whether or not we actually are. The perception that we are giving everyone in the world, including the Russians, is that we absolutely have a hand in these attacks. 
And it is only going to make the Russians and eventually decide that for their own safety and security, they need to start attacking the United States. And when that happens, I am certain that the ruling class of the United States is going to shriek and tear and cry how it's 9-11 and Pearl Harbor all over again. The United States didn't do nothing. And we were just poor victims being attacked by the Russians. And that's why you need to support a draft and a declaration of war against the evil Russian empire. And I worry that we are going to be dragged into a war that our elites want, that the average people, that does not serve the interests of the average American. And that is a frightening reality to me because I can see how many Americans will blindly support it and think, we are the victims. They're absolutely right. We didn't do nothing. And that worries me immensely. And it's, it, it is fascinating because that's it. Well, yeah, that's exactly how it would absolutely play out. And it, by the way, it, it, just for, for anybody who, who wants to push back on this, it doesn't matter at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if Russia's evil. It doesn't matter if, if Vladimir Putin's a dictator. It doesn't matter if they're anti-democratic. Zero of your concern about those things stops bullets ripping through American bodies. Zero of your shilling about anything stops the potential destruction of American anything in a war against Russia on U.S. soil, likely somewhere like Alaska. Zero of yeah. your shilling and social media hashtags and your bullshit and your Ukrainian flags out front of your house is going to stop any of the destruction. No one gives a damn. Your entire virtue. And, and that that's that's the biggest problem that I have with all of this. This is theater. All of these people that are constantly pushing and pushing and pushing and thinking that we have to do everything we can to support Ukraine are acting like this is a television show. They are acting like they are in a Netflix movie. They are acting yeah. like the script was written by Disney and they're going to have a real hard time if they keep pushing this because it doesn't matter how moral you think you are it doesn't matter how justified you think you are because right now it's easy. It is so yeah. easy There's for no these Americans to sit there. Yeah. To sit there and waste every Ukrainian. They'll fight to every last Ukrainian to be able to hashtag some bullshit on Instagram. It's so easy to do that. But the yeah. minute it starts hurting yeah. you, you're going to sit there and be like, whoa, how could this have happened? And it's all your fault. And zero part well, of this was worth it. Yeah. And it's all unnecessary. This confrontation between the United States and Russia is yeah. entirely the United States is doing. It's completely unnecessary. And there's no benefit. And what is the benefit to the United States, if any? Oh, we get to be more contentious with Russia on the world stage. Well, why do we care about that? Does that matter? What, why is it important to play this great game with Russia? I'm told they just have the, they have the, what, is, what, are they, what do people always say? They have the, the economy of Kansas. Well, okay, but so why do we care? 
if the United States is so powerful, well, then why does this matter? What are we doing? It, it, it seems to me there's the only reason for any of this is they were really excited to play their little corrupt games in Ukraine and, and Russian dominance of Ukraine would, would end that. It's would like end we're it being dragged into reveal this it. by yeah we're being dragged into this by people who are not thinking about the future of the United States who are not thinking about the costs to the American people who are simply thinking about their own personal self-aggrandizement and wealth it it's, well, it seems completely divorced from any realities of American power American power projection heck America was the sole superpower on earth so why do we care why do we need to push Russia into a confrontation when Russia simply was asking, please don't advance, please leave us a buffer between America and NATO? That was our agreement at the end of the Cold War. We, is that you will leave a buffer between America and between NATO and Russia. And the United States violated that. We are absolutely, our ruling class is absolutely in the wrong here because they are arrogant and felt like they could get away with anything. Yeah, no, I mean, and and that's absolutely it. And uh, you know, the 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 final part about this, in in reality, is there's so much conflicting with what we hear because you know, remember, Russia's supposed to be super like unprepared. Oh, they're so bad. They're running out of gas. Oh, they're just getting stomped by the plucky little Ukrainians. Uh, but we should also preemptively strike them with nukes or else they're going to completely destroy Ukraine. Yeah. Uh, so what is it? Is Ukraine losing? Is Ukraine losing? Honestly, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. What matters is continued American support for Ukraine elevates our chance of serious Russian reprisals, whether it is conventional, whether it is nuclear, or whether it is through their intelligence, cyber warfare, or special operations. We are absolutely pushing for the Russians to hurt the United States in any way they possibly can for no benefit to the American people and with absolutely no benefit on the horizon. It's not like we're going through this you know, period of struggle and at the end of the day, America is going to be that much stronger. Absolutely not. Let's say Russia completely pulls out of Ukraine. Ukraine plays NATO. That does not help the average American citizen in any way. And so we're opening ourselves up to the ill will of an entire nation state with a fully mechanized military, with satellites, with all of these capabilities. And they are, and we are bending their will towards finding any way to hurt us out of spite and revenge. And it is not for any reason other than the pride and arrogance of our ruling of these ruling elites who we never elected in the first place. Yeah. Well, um, no, and that, and that's, that's exactly it. Um, so yeah, with that, we're going to, we're going to kind of shift into some of the, uh, uh, some of the stuff when it comes to the midterms. And the reason is, uh, your signal got like real choppy there for a little Mm -hmm. bit. It seems better now, but, and I'm sure you did Mm. absolutely nothing. (laughs) Um, I don't know if you're just sitting there or whatever, but Hey, it is, it sounds great now. Um, and I'm sure everyone can make it out. Uh, y'all can deal with it. It's fine. Um, so, with all of that going on and all of the craziness, and 
I'm just going to say this. We don't need to, to drill down into it, but I've had a lot of people ask me, what does all the nuclear threat have to do with the midterms? Because obviously it feels like there's some sort of midterm stuff coming up. You know, there's always something known as the October surprise, you know, right before these November elections. And I have had a large amount of people come to me and say, do you think that Biden is Biden and the Democrats are corrupt and psychotic enough that they would false flag a nuclear strike in Ukraine to distract people and try to swing the midterms. And I'm not going to, I mean, is it possible? Yeah. These people are freaking insane. So they're, they're going to do all sorts of stuff. Like why wouldn't they? But at the same time, um, I don't know either way. Like, would they be crazy enough to do it? Absolutely. Uh, are they doing it? I don't know. You know, I've even heard some people kind of go down go down the road of asking the question of whether or not uh, somehow there would be some sort of activity, a false flag activity, just to stop the midterms from happening. This is a conspiracy that happens in every single election. The conspiracy that the current ruling party is going to do something to suspend the election. Now is the time that I would say it is the most likely because we always hear it. And I've, I've had some friends kind of come out and be like, well, I mean, come on, man. Like he can't just suspend, you know, the elections. That's like, ah, there's been a lot of stuff that the Democrats, the deep state, and the Biden administration has gotten away with that we've claimed would be impossible. So I'm kind of left not not believing it. Like it's 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 a little it's a little difficult for me to say something's impossible when I've seen them get away with it. And that's going to be our next big story here is more pro-life protesters have been arrested for the single act of singing outside of an abortion clinic. And it's amazing to see the story about it because one of, one of the stories that's shown here is it's literally a bunch of old people. It is a bunch of old people and like a young girl. And uh, this comes from uh, Mia Cathal, who's who's reporting on this. And she says, 11 pro-life activists have been indicted by Biden's DOJ for protesting outside an abortion clinic in Tennessee. Meet the Christian Mimas and Pawpaws charged as co-conspirators now facing up to 11 years in federal prison for a peaceful, quote, blockade demonstration. FBI agents with guns drawn raided the home of 73-year-old Chester, Chester Eugene Gallagher after the pro-life leader promoted a series of anti-abortion events last year on social media in the Nashville area and advertised an activist blockade of an abortion clinic. Pro-life activists Heather Idoni, the 58-year-old owner of Beloved Books Bookstore turned Ukraine Relief Center, was charged by the DOJ with a civil rights conspiracy and a Freedom of Access Clinic Entrances Act, or FACE, offenses for blockading an abortion facility. 
the pro-life advocate's passport was confiscated by federal authorities and a federal judge later denied Adoni's request to travel on a humanitarian mission trip to help refugees in Ukraine while supporting her Ukrainian adopted son living in the war-torn country. 61-year-old Evangel- uh, evangelist, I'm sorry, and pro-life missionary Calvin John Zastro, now being prosecuted by the DOJ, was once arrested for reading the Bible and preaching on a public sidewalk across the street from an abortion clinic. Biden's DOJ is targeting this pro-life street preacher who advocates for group prayer and peaceful sit-in protests. Pro-lifers sitting in front of abortion clinics are praying for God's intervention, which the DOJ calls using physical obstruction to intimidate and interfere. The preacher's daughter, Eva, Eva Darlene Zastro, is also named in the federal indictment for de- demonstrating outside an abortion facility. Here she explains... Uh, what the pro-life protesters are like. Quote, I'm here because I care about you and your baby, she told a mother seeking an abortion. 50-year-old Dr. Coleman Boyd, a pro-life physician indicted by the DOJ for coordinating a peaceful protest at an abortion clinic, frequents facilities to read scripture and dissuade abortion seekers. The baby is a gift from God. This is your son or daughter. Let us adopt. 55-year-old Paul Vaughn of... Personhood, Tennessee, said the scene of the pro-life protest, which federal charges stem from, was like a church service, with protesters singing hymns, reading scriptures, and praying. 56-year-old cancer survivor Dennis Earl Green, the director of Life and Liberty Ministries, is accused of engaging in a conspiracy to prevent a clinic from aborting babies by being part of a peaceful protest that blocked access to a Tennessee abortion facility. Biden's DOJ is coming after 87-year-old Eva Idol, a pro-life icon arrested 40 times for block- blockading abortion clinics and a survivor of a communist concentration camp. Instead of charging the far-left terrorists who have firebombed numerous pregnancy centers, Biden's DOJ is targeting this pro-life grandmother and bookstore owner for peacefully protesting at an abortion clinic. Alan, are you still around or 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 did everything explode on your end? Well, I'll keep going and feel free to chime in if whatever happens, happens. Um, it's fascinating because th- this is exactly it. There have been, well, <laughs> let's let's actually uh, real quick. It's like the FBI, knows about but can't seem to stop any mass shooter. The FBI additionally can't seem to find any of the people that, you know, were involved in the massive amounts of destruction we saw in 2020. Uh they've done absolutely nothing about the actual violence that has been regularly occurring in Democrat cities. We have crime waves in Democrat cities all over. There's been a massive spike in homicides. There's been a massive spike in assaults. You literally cannot go onto social media without seeing videos of people being stabbed, beaten, and shot in all sorts of Democrat cities. We can have zero control over this. And the focus of the FBI is arresting old people who sit outside, who sit outside of abortion clinics who stand in the hallways 
of buildings singing hymns. This is the focus right. of the FBI. And it looks like well, you might was, be back. Am I back now? I was I turned off the internet because it was, or you're talking and I just can't hear you yet. It was not for working. Reason. But maybe the audience can. I think I can now. Well, there okay. you are. I'm just going to keep going. No, you can go. I remember when there was all of the, quote, peaceful Black Lives Matter protests caused billions in property damage and claimed dozens of lives. And the FBI has absolutely no interest in tracking down any of that, but they will absolutely come after people that were being actually peaceful in front of abortion clinics. And it is just, it's absolutely clear as day. They are doing this to tell you that we will use all the tools of law enforcement justly or unjustly to ensure that you do not oppose the ruling regime. It's insane that they think they can even get away with this, but here they are doing it and they are absolutely just doing it simply so that we all know that if we peacefully protest as is our right, the FBI could show up at our door with guns drawn in the middle of the night. Well, and you have to remember the director of the FBI, as well as several people involved in the Department of Homeland Security, have said that domestic extremism is the greatest threat to national security in the United States of America. And we have no other way of gauging what they consider domestic extremism other than the focus of prosecutions by the Federal Bureau of Investigation. And so what are we seeing? Well, they're raiding the home of pro-life protesters. They're raiding the home of Joe Biden's most likely 2024 political candidate. They're raiding the homes of anybody who posted stuff on Facebook about the election being pretty weird and kind of messed up. They're focusing um, their threat tagging on parents who go in front of school boards and push back against pornography in their libraries and the attempts uh, by schools to take parents out of uh, monumental decision-making about their children. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely wild. Amazing they think they can get away with it. Or amazing like, they think that they can do this and there won't be a, they won't harden the backlash against them. Well, and, and you know, you consistently bring up kind of that theory of, because you know, we look at it, you know, we, we look at a lot of these activities and we're like, this makes zero sense. Like, why would you be this way? Like, you're proving us right, which is usually not what you want to do, right? Um, but at the same point, is is the point and has it always been to kick the dog so it will bite so then you can put the dog down i i don't know well so one thing about this that i find very curious is the way the fbi is doing this they're doing it in a way that they're even tr trying to trick their own agents about these ah uh, yes yes i remember there's the fbi whistleblower and the way that apparently a lot of this is working is the investigating agents for these quote unquote crimes 
are not anywhere near the field offices, are not co-located at the field offices where they're sending out these agents to serve these warrants, to do these raids. And what the info from that whistleblower was, is the way it seems is that the FBI office gets some communication from Washington, D.C. saying, hey, we need you to go raid this house and serve these people with a warrant. These people with a, you know, we need you to go raid these house and arrest this guy. And the agents in the field at this local field office don't know any of the other information, but they just get, oh, new perp came up. Let's go take him down. And then it probably has a little header at the bottom that says, bring a full tactical team. You're like, well, shit, full tactical team. Let's go get this guy. And then they show up and it's some sweet old grandmother. And it seems like the way from this FBI whistleblower, a lot of the agents at these field offices are going, wait, this seems seems weird and wrong. What are you guys doing? Why would you be telling us to do this? They don't necessarily, it only, they're not used to, the way the FBI seems to work, again, as per this whistleblower, was that at these field offices, the agents, the tactical teams at these field offices, it's not their purview to look into these cases and and think, well, who is this person? Who are we going after? What are their crimes? Their job is simply, I we got a direction from hire, go get this guy. Because the investigating agents are not co-located, there's no one there to even ask or that is telling them. They just say, oh, we got this very brief sheet, go arrest this person, give them these, you know, serve them with these documents, raid their house. And then they show up and it's like, oh boy, this is a grandmother. Well, we're already here. We have to do our job. So that tells me the FBI is actively trying to even is has siloed all of this political action in Washington D.C. at places that is not brought across all these field offices. Now I'm not trying to shill for the FBI here, but it shows that they themselves know that this is unpopular and inflammatory, and that people at the top want this but they are doing it in such a way that they are trying to essentially hide it and from their own people and then intimidate their own people into not talking about it. And that, again, I don't know what that means, but it tells me something about their intent and what their recognition of their activities are. It's almost as if they feel, we are going to just do this for a limited period of time, and hopefully that shuts up all these right-wingers and makes them scared and afraid shows me that they know that this is unsustainable long-term. Well, and that's, that is what's, what's interesting about it, right? And, and what you're talking about was uh, some of the revelations that have come out. There have been multiple whistleblowers um, from the FBI that have come out and, and talked about how corrupted uh, the entire system is. And primarily uh, one in Florida was talking about a, a, a raid that was going to occur and he ended up reading the paperwork, which I I can certainly see where a tactical team is like, yeah, we're handed a case file. Like, what I really need to know is what do I need to bring? Who am I going to get? And where am I going? Right? Like, you don't have to review the entire case file to go roll somebody up on a warrant. It's just checking the work isn't something that some of these people are really going to be worried or concerned about. Right. Because um, why would you? You, kind of, you would look yeah. like, well, surely. Well, surely these other agents at the FBI that are paid more than me at these offices with all these intelligence cells and resources, surely they know what they're talking about. 
Right. And um, the door kicker. Let's say it'd be like infantry guy being like, well, who is this top terrorist? It's like a Navy SEAL going, let me review all the intelligence reporting on this insurgent that I was told to just go roll up in the middle of the night. No, they're going to be way more concerned with what are the routes we're going to take to the target? What are our infill and exfill options? What are our actions on site? They're not going to be reviewing an entire Intel dossier to make sure that what they're doing is right. Because it's like, well, that's out of my, that's above, way above my pay grade. Right. And, and, and so what, what we end up seeing is the FBI die kind of diving in and saying like, well, okay, we're going to, um, we're going to kind of jump, you know, like what they've been doing is sending in these uh, teams and w- the one whistleblower from Florida actually reviewed the file and was like, Hey, this is like in violation of policy. Like we, we can't just be charging into this house. We can't just be doing this. Uh, this wasn't even reviewed by a, a local here. Like that's, that's not how any of this works. Like someone uh, the case agent is supposed to be connected to the office where this is happening, uh, but this is coming uh, from DC. And he was told, "Why are you not being a team player?" That was the end result. So, with well, with that, so we we have a bunch of targeting that's occurring uh, when it when it comes to. The Biden administration, there was some information that came out that was very, uh, it was interesting and it, it, it sort of, it went viral and then it got retracted. And, um, there was a presidential memorandum that went out about, uh, changing and editing the, uh, presidential order, the executive order that covers, uh, signals intelligence collection in the United States. And there was kind of a minor freakout because uh, the Biden administration said that they were rescinding all of the provisions from, I believe it was a 2012 order uh, from Barack Obama, uh, but they were only going to keep a couple provisions. And when you read Obama's initial order and what was said to be rescinded, it basically looked like they were rescinding all of the protections of signals intelligence collection against U.S. citizens. And understandably... A lot of people freaked out about it and said, oh my God, they're going full bore. They're going to just start mass collecting U.S. citizen data and all of the protections to keep U.S. citizens from being targeted by the national security apparatus are now gone. Well, it does appear that the there was a release of a new memorandum that actually enumerates what signals intelligence can and cannot collect. And so that wasn't exactly the case. But what is alarming was how easily and quickly people immediately just assumed that this would be a natural next step in the Biden administration. That's how bad things have gotten. The idea that it is far easier for people to believe that Joe Biden would blatantly weaponize the national security apparatus against his political opponents rather than thinking that maybe something's missing, that should be a cause of concern for a lot of people. That it's perfectly easy uh, for people to believe that 
the Biden administration would start targeting U.S. citizens. And it's just that simple. It's just that simple that they would target U.S. citizens and people, people went, well, yeah, of course, of course they would. And it's because we're seeing this progression. And yeah, that's, uh, when I saw, sorry, I'm taking a a real quick second to shoot a message over to Alan about the audio. Well, okay. Um, it looks like you, but yeah, that's, that's the, that's the craziest part about it. Um, sorry, Alan, there was some weird fading going on on your line and it kind of went silent, but it looked like you were still talking. So I figured I would just, uh, uh, play with some buttons. Um, yeah. Am I back now? Can you hear yeah, me? Yeah. Yeah. You're back now. It just is what it is, man. In a way that's broken and weird because there's nothing on my end. seems like it's messed up at all. Yeah. No, you sound fine. It just does this weird volume thing where it like kind of fades in and out. And I'm assuming what it is, is like either your headset picks up background noise and tries to like pop it out or, or something. I don't know what it is, but it just is a thing and it's okay. Well, I hate it. Yeah. No, I get it. I mean, it's never going to be perfect. Well, should be. Yeah. It's kind of like how my nice new studio has like this weird echo that I can't completely fix unless I want to like cover my walls in a bunch of dumb foam crap that I really don't want to do. Um, so it grates on me. As but anyway. Oh, wow. I don't know what you just changed. Yeah. Holy crap. You sound amazing. I just swapped. Uh, I swapped headsets out. Oh, so well, this one and again, awesome. the more expensive, fancy headset is apparently the one that doesn't work as well. <laughs> well, that's like okay, so uh, I'm I'm gonna let everybody in on some inside baseball for fun, and it'll be kind of good because we'll get into some of the other stuff going on. Um, and I don't really have a good segue for it. Uh, but yeah, you say that it's the 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 more expensive headset is the one that, or the least the less expensive headset is the one that sounds better. Um. How annoying was it? Because, you know, we picked up a really, a a decent microphone for you to use for your studio there in Seattle and your headset has a far cleaner signal at the same time, uh, when we were having all of our audio problems and we jumped in, um, and started, started doing our show the way that we're doing it now, I had to use my headset, which I have a really nice pair of like noise canceling bows in ear um ear pods right and they're phenomenal they sound great they're beautiful for music whatever they have the crappiest microphone you could ever possibly have and it's just infuriating how weird some of the technology is it's just one of those things that i like to point out is it's just like <sighs> It's annoying. You could pay you could pay a couple hundred dollars for something and it could sound like crap for the one thing that you're trying to do. Now, don't get me wrong, my Bose stuff sounds phenomenal when I'm listening to music, but it has an absolutely trash microphone. Whereas I don't know, I could probably use like some Xbox Live headset and people would tell me how amazing that would sound by comparison. Yeah. Anyway, it, make, it makes well, me Hopefully mad. that's all behind us. Yeah, no, you sound great, uh, but a lot of fun anyway. I like I, I, I like making fun of technology. So um, one of the more hilarious tactics that I saw that I just 
I, I I'm gonna say it again. I know I've I know I've mentioned it before, but I'm gonna say it again. I did not think that there would be anything successful out of these actions, and I thought it was dumb and theater, and I was wrong. What I'm talking about is Governor Greg Abbott, um, and now like Governor Ron DeSantis and others sending illegal immigrants to Democrat cities. I thought yeah. that this was going to be stupid. It wasn't going to work. And all, all we were ever going to hear was the left wing talking about how evil and awful these people are. And then you'd see all of the, basically I just thought it'd be the same business as usual nonsense coming out of the left, but that didn't happen. We have clips like this. This is Eric Adams the mayor of New York City this week. New Yorkers are angry. I am angry too. We have not asked for this. There was never any agreement to take on the job of supporting thousands of asylum seekers. This responsibility was simply handed to us without warning as buses began showing up. There's no playbook for this, no precedent. We are a... Oh. Oh, oh, there's no, oh, I'm sorry. What have you people been doing to San Antonio this whole time? What have you been doing to every city on the border? They didn't ask for this. There's no playbook for this. Yet all of these smug, all these smug liberals in New York City, including probably this mayor, but no, 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 it's, we need to do it to them though, even though it's a huge burden for us. Yeah. Ugh. The, the sheer audacity to even make those claims is well, absolutely enraging. Sanctuary city. Yeah, you're a sanctuary city, buddy. You 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 wanted this. I guess you're not actually a sanctuary city, and that was just lame idiot virtue signaling to make to probably appeal to your stupid voters. I you were never, never a sanctuary city. You never stood with migrants. Clearly, because look at you. You weren't planning for this. You weren't you weren't making a playbook to be a sanctuary. It was all a lie and it was the entire time. Now I'm I'm gonna point this out, and I know a lot of the audience um knows this, but I want to connect these dots real quick so everyone can remember. It started off a few years back, it was undocumented immigrant, remember? So it was undocumented right. immigrant. Now it's asylum seeker. You have to understand oh. how this language keeps changing. Because, yeah. you know, it was illegal alien, illegal immigrant, undocumented immigrant. Now they're asylum seekers. They're refugees. What are they seeking asylum from? We're talking about no less than like a million people. What are they seeking asylum from? What is it? What is the thing? What is the thing? There uh, isn't one. Asylum, it's all lies. Climate change or from poverty or it's it's all nonsense. It's, well, it's, it's all non nonsense and it's all just a thin veneer for we want to flood red areas with people that are going to vote blue. Well, it is nonsense, but it's also not nonsense because legally this is how they circumvent everything you call them refugees you get a bunch of dumbass lawyers and judges to call them refugees or asylum seekers and it gums 
up the process. See, when Trump started uh, clamping down on illegal immigration, that is exactly what the left did. And they did it, they started doing it in South America and Mexico through non-government organizations. They went to these people and said, here's here's paperwork you need to fill out. You're going to call yourself an asylum seeker. And that way it starts this completely other process where you can't get thrown back over the border. They gave them the play. There is a playbook, Eric Adams. You guys fucking wrote it. You wrote the playbook. You wrote the playbook on how these people break our laws, on how these people circumvent any way of stopping this. You just didn't think it was going to be on your doorstep. Go to George Soros. Go to these non-governmental organizations and ask them what the playbook is because your party wrote it, asshole. Yeah. People in your city have been funding it, dickhead. (laughs) Figure it out. Yeah. Your city is literally responsible for funding 99% of this. Get with the program. Why why were you not on the phone calls? Did you not go to the meetings? Apparently Are you that not. stupid? Apparently they missed that. <laughs> missed out on that one. Cuz cuz there is a playbook. There is one. Yeah. And it's called There's a playbook and it's called basically it's a just it's called destroy these destroy these areas i mean yeah. that's the thing he he knows what the playbook is the playbook is destroy these the infrastructures of these areas and create a crisis and he just doesn't want the crisis on his doorstep he knows that was that's the intent of all this but he's trying not to admit it because that makes him seem like a bad man Colleen is chastising me for calling him so many names. But this stuff, it's so enraging because it's just a normal human being should not be able to blatantly lie on camera the way these people do. Yeah. How the hell does a Democrat, a Democrat mayor, of a sanctuary city go in front of cameras and go, uh, we're just so not prepared. We're the largest city in the United States, but we're so unprepared. And no part of your little pissant brain goes, uh, dude, every other city in the United States is going to be far less prepared than New York. No part, zero part. You've done no critical thinking on this. And that shows how smug and disgusting and how safe these assholes feel. That's how safe they feel. They can say stupid things like that that make zero sense. And they know they're going to get away with it. Yeah. That's the thing. They they lie. They know we lie. And they know that we know that they lie. And they still lie because there's no consequence to them lying. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's exactly it. There's no consequence to them lying. Yeah. It's it's completely. In fact, what's really funny is uh, that that's a good segue into a into a fun story. Um, there was, if you ever wanted a better sign that the quote fact checkers are all on the same team, there was a massive fact check operation that was conducted because Kamala Harris. We played it on the show last week. Kamala Harris mentioned how um, aid was going to be going to 
they were going to ensure that there was equity in aid dispersion. And she was talking, um, this was during a talk where she was discussing Hurricane Ian. And so everybody came back with this of, wow, so the vice president of the United States is telling everybody that they're going to distribute relief um, for the hurricane based on race. And the talking point from her team came out and said, no, she was talking about climate change. And then every fact checker said, Republicans are saying that Kamala Harris is going to disperse aid for Hurricane Ian based on race. Fact check false. Because Fact check false because Kamala Harris's people said otherwise. <laughs> yeah. So it's, so the fact checking is, um, excuse me, excuse me, uh, Democrat. Um, do, do, do you have, do you have a different way that we can frame this? Oh yeah, here it is. Oh, okay, good. Thanks. I just wanted to make sure I could say fact check false. Right. Right. And now I need to like, I need to remind everybody that some of these fact check organizations are part of a larger organization known as NewsGuard and NewsGuard is the organization that social media companies are using to decide whether or not something is misinformation or disinformation. And it is all made up of liberal non-government organizations and these fact check organizations. Those are the people behind NewsGuard. And Facebook just launched their whole deal where they're going to be monitoring uh uh, we we actually got a notice on our Facebook page that they're going to be monitoring political speech to ensure against disinformation and misinformation. PayPal was threatening to take up to, what was it, $250,000 out of your account mm-hmm. if you engaged in misinformation uh, or tw- disinformation? I believe it was 25, uh, uh, $2,500. Oh, $2,500. i am sorry. I put a zero in there because I'm mad. Uh, $2,500. They could take up to $2,500 out of your account. Now, they've backed off of taking your money, but now they're just going to suspend your account. They're going to take away your ability to collect money on the internet because bear in mind, PayPal makes up for the back end of a lot of, it is very, it is very difficult to collect money via the internet without having a third party. The reason why is your choices are have people send you a check by mail, have people send you cash by mail, which is technically illegal. Uh, Give them your bank account information, which is a very bad idea, or have an intermediary. And those intermediaries are companies like PayPal. Especially because since PayPal is so large and successful, they're very easy to integrate into things like websites uh, for zero money. So look, I'm not against it, but the whole, we're going to get away from PayPal. We're going to stop using them. Easier said than done. Definitely. It really is. Like, trust me, I'm not against, I am not against um, protesting companies that make bad decisions. I'm not saying don't do that. I am saying that it's very easy for people. We get this happen. We have this happen a lot where everybody tells us who we should and should not go with. And they act like it's just super easy to change the entire operation, how it's funded, how we collect things. They act like that's extremely easy. Right. And they don't see all the work that goes into it. Now, it, it doesn't matter. The point is, is 
just understand that before you start demanding people do do things with their businesses and their livelihoods. Right. But, but at it the just same- goes to show, mm-hmm. no, I think the bigger takeaway on this is there is absolutely a coordinated effort out there to ensure that your ability to think freely is policed by corporations and non-government organizations in a way that makes it impossible for you to be a dissident against the government even without government intervention this is a way to try and get around the free speech protections of the constitution and de facto ruin de facto make speech not free yes and And, this absolutely is an area where the where we need the government to come in and smash these companies into submission for doing this sort of thing to the American people. But, but Alan, that, that wouldn't be free market. Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> the free market isn't free. It's never going to be free. And it will always be at the whim of corporations that can outspend the average person. So the government, in order to protect the average person, in order to protect the people, needs to exercise force against companies that do this sort, that do things that we don't like. And that's not the free market, but you know what? Markets are never, never free. Either the markets are abusing people or the government is abusing the markets and there is no alternative. The only alternative I will, I will maybe add, the only alternative is companies and people choosing to abide by the constitution of their own free will and they clearly are not going to do that because there is the incentives of them to violate the free market for the money and influence that not that these organizations like the soros foundation like the clinton foundation all of these liberal activist groups are the benefits of them aligning with these liberal activist groups with the liberal ideology that has so much money to influence to throw around outweighs any negative cause they could ever have from violating the free market. What what is the average person going to do? Oh, we're all going to boycott these companies. They're actively, they've actively worked to make sure that that option is no longer available to us. So leaving this to the free market is no longer an option. The government has put itself in a position where the free market is gone and these companies have enough power and influence to ensure that the free market is is not the markets are not free so we are end we end up at the situation where only if we have a massive revolution and a purge of the country can we ever have free markets again if we want any freedom to remain there needs to be some force out there forcing these companies not to violate the rights of our fellow citizens forcing them not to violate our rights and it is only through exercising force against them that we can hope to live freely. Otherwise, democracy is meaningless. It's like funny. Whoever can spend the most money, whoever can spend the most influence to ensure that all of the companies that we get our news media, all of it through, they control the flow of information and the control of the flow of information is what drives the course of democracy. So either we need to get rid of democracy or get rid of the ability of these companies to manipulate our fellow citizens. It's, it's funny because, um, you know, obviously, you know, playing, playing the part of the person who gets all upset about, you know, but my free market when it comes down to tech tyranny for the left Part of the reason why we're so annoyed and upset by that reaction is uh, we had every chance in the world to fix this. 
Republicans had every chance in the world to do something about this, and they never did. They allowed so much insidious integration into the market. So much, so so many backroom deals between corporations and the government, the the over uh, regulation of so many different sectors uh, of of private enterprise that they were picking winners and losers. There is no reasonable competition. I know I got I got a a list of alternatives from HD Cynical here, like GabPay, Parallel Economy, Virtual Credit and Debit Cards. All great. of those are good. All they can they cannot compete whatsoever. Well, whatsoever. No. Be what well, hang on to the effect that other tech companies can because they will a hundred percent get regulated more. They don't have the billions of dollars and runway that some of these other companies got because. Before, when places like PayPal, when play, when things like Facebook and Twitter were first coming out, they had zero regulation and they shot for the sky. Those same people then turned around and went, wow, maybe we should look at how things like this should be regulated, shouldn't we, guys? And that was so they could create the gatekeeping. Right. It is a collusion between liberal activist groups, court, liberals in that control these court that work for and control these corporations and liberals in the government to collude together to ensure that this normal safeguards are bypassed. It's the same way that the FBI is being turned against American citizens. Mm -hmm. Liberals in the FBI are working with liberals in the government to ensure that the normal safeguards that prevent it from being abused are bypassed and rendered uh, useless. It's the same thing with the collusion between liberals in government and liberals in these corporations. Whatever rules that there were or had or whatever free market. I mean, heck, if we want to talk about the free market, the free market would dictate these companies wouldn't do this because it would be unpopular. There's no free market advantage to these companies to do any of this. Mm -hmm. So why would I rely on if the free market is already so broken that these companies are choosing to do things that would violate that are not in their competitive interest to do? then I'm not, then the free market is not going to fix them. It's not like these companies are going to suddenly turn around and go, you know what, guys, we can make more money if we were just, uh, if we weren't evil, <laughs> they're not going to do that because they clearly are, they are trying to rely on a non-ideological position to suddenly override an ideological one, I think is folly. And I don't think that it's going to, going to work. I, I, it clearly is not. Like these companies operate on, we are going to eliminate all competition and our f liberal friends in the government are going to let us do that. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, like, look, I, I'm a very big fan of the free market. I would, I would love to see it here in the United States. Um, I am about that. I, I am about, you know, conservative and some libertarian principles. I absolutely am. But I'm also not an idiot. And I can acknowledge that we are beyond just being able to say, well, let's just open up the market, guys. Let's just don't worry. The constitutional save us, guys. Uh, that's already been you guys were everybody was too asleep. Everybody was too goddamn asleep. It's too late. I'm so sorry. I know it sucks. I, I, I'm, I hate to tell you guys. Um, we're too far gone. We yeah. need a large scale solution to. Yeah 
reinvent how this country works, reinvent how this country does business, pull out the rot, pull out the cancer, excise the tumor um, that is, you know, progressive liberalism and global liberalism, and then just pray to God that after giving that power to people, they give it back. But but if I'm being completely honest, even if we give the same amount of power to people on the right, let's say, but we give the same amount of power to people who care about this country as the progressive liberals have, we don't like the idea of people in government having that much power. The country would still be better because the only problem would be that good people still probably have too much power because it might go back to bad people. That would actually be the only problem. That would actually be the only problem is the, the worry and concern that the power given to those people could go possibly back to the bad people, but it wouldn't get any worse. Sure. I mean, the problem is that we are a, a culture, a society at war with itself. And as long as we are at war with each other, as long as we are, as long as there is a culture war, then we'll never have peace. It'll always be one group trying to just obliterate the other one. Mm Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the, the real answer to this is to have a cohesive society, society that's not at war with itself, that's not try, constantly trying to subvert and destroy itself. And then it doesn't matter who has power. It doesn't matter about government power, because then uh, no one's going to use it against you. Like, it's fine. Well, and, and the problem is it... we're at war with each other. We're at war with ourselves. So it's like, well, we can't let we can't solve any problem because that would mean exercising power. And if we and if we give out, if we anybody exercising power is only going to exercise it against us. So we're kind of stuck in this between a rock and a hard place. Right. Well, and and I mean, but this is exactly why you see such a fierce pushback against populism and nationalism. This is why those people, the people who benefit from this uniparty, monoparty garbage, are so afraid of things like nationalism, like America first. That's why they're so terrified by it because, oh God, if they stop fighting against, if they stop fighting with each other, they're going to realize who's actually been screwing them over and they're going to come for us. That's the, that, that, that's it. It's that simple. Um, Alan, do you have any other additional stories? Because we're coming up on the last five minutes of the show and I have a really great clip that's going to give us the chance to make fun of libertarians. And you know how much I like to take that opportunity. Oh, I love it too. Let's go for that. Okay. So there was a fantastic uh, debate that occurred where uh, Blake Masters, who's supposed to be one of those uh, garbage candidates, one of those unwinnable candidates that Mitch McConnell was so afraid of and that all the never Trumpers um, like were throwing ashes on their face. Well, apparently he had a phenomenal uh appearance at the Senate debate in Arizona. And I don't have a bunch of his clips right now, but I strongly encourage you guys go listen to it as a benchmark for the types of candidates that we need to be looking for and the types of people that we need to be putting in front of America if we ever want to be successful. But there was a hilarious clip because on on the stage was Mark Kelly, the Democrat candidate, um, Blake Masters for the GOP, and then a gentleman named Mark Victor, And Mark Victor was the libertarian candidate. Now, 
We are in a world where if you think about libertarianism, the idea of a really small government, rugged individualism, or at least that's what we're told. Um, this is the guy who should be just a rugged individualist, right? Like this is the, the idea of libertarianism is just every, you guys get the idea. You know what I mean? And I would like to think that libertarians would have kind of a good go of things right now. Um, with the fact that we had COVID and all this other stuff, individual liberty is something that libertarians could be focusing on hardcore. Instead, this is what Mark Victor, the libertarian candidate in Arizona, decided was the thing he was going to talk about at this debate. Uh, here's the clip. We are a constitutional republic, not an unrestricted democracy. Today, everything is up for a vote. Very little should be up for a vote. Like, for example, who should represent the good people of the state of Arizona? That should be up for a vote. What should the age of consent be? This is something that reasonable minds disagree on. That should be up for a vote. But everything else that we are voting on that has anything to do with your body, your property, your money, your time, that's what freedom is about, folks. None of that should be up for a vote. We are... I'm sorry. The the age of consent as in <laughs> the, of all the things that should be up for a vote, that's what the libertarian candidate in this the year of our lord 2022 is saying. Well, we need to go back and revise that, guys. Like, what if I dated a girl who was 14? Wouldn't that be maybe that would be okay? Let's uh let's revise these age of consent laws. It's like, uh okay, sexual degenerate libertarian like let's let's not have that up for a vote in fact the things you want up for a vote seem weird and creepy <laughs> you know what's weird is like fundamentally i i like the premise of no not everything needs to be up for a damn vote that's stupid yeah for example the age of consent shouldn't be up for a vote because i don't want sexual degenerates getting a say in what the age of consent should be well, that's certainly, yeah. I mean, <laughs> but it's just, that's the example you went with. Yeah. Or part, Wow, no. libertarians are just so bad at this. It's, it's, yeah, they, they really are. And it's weird because there's, you, there's so, there's so much dancing you could do here where it's like, if it has to do with my property, you know, my person, my blah, those things should not be up for a vote. Sure. I, I don't know what he means by that. Yeah. No, the only no, because... one that he clarified that he said was, this is absolutely, that was age of consent, which I, go, I feel like that one is, of all the things that should be up for a vote. <laughs> well, what confuses me is like, okay, things shouldn't be up for a vote. Does that mean, for example, like, how does abortion fit into this? I guarantee you the libertarian candidate would say, well, no, that one, that one's not up for a vote. People should be able to get abortions all the time for no reason, infinitely, and it should be government funded. Well, that's what I'm confused by, though, is if it's not up for a vote, like, that's what I thought everybody was pissed off about. The Supreme Court said, you know, that states, well, states have to make their own decision, right? That, that's what the Supreme Court said, was states have to make their own decision. That's the reality of the decision that came down, was it's up to the states. There's not going to be a federal thing. Um, okay, so should people not, should the states not hold a vote? 
should they just decide? Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. And now, obviously, I know I know Colleen's clarifying here, like not up to a vote as in not a concern of the state. Sure. Totally. Of course. Totally get what you mean by that. Like, I know what he's trying to say. But this shows how disconnected some libertarians are. I, I do see HD signal, uh, cynical bringing up the Mrs. Caucus. And I, I do want to look into it a little bit more. I don't, don't get me wrong. I like to make fun of libertarians mostly because uh, we had COVID happen and the libertarians ran away and hid and didn't do like the one thing that li like everyone would have anticipated libertarians doing. And that was yeah. sad and pathetic. Like it's just you, the libertarian party as, as it stands was completely dead to me because they did absolutely nothing when it came to COVID. And it's just, it's so, it was so depressing. Well, and then I look at the, I think of all the, the issues we face as a country, country and society. And I look at the libertarian party like this and go, will you actually stand up for things that are good against things that are evil? Or will you simply neuter us from the ability to stop things that are evil? It's like, I personally, no, I'm not going to say even I personally think. I objectively agree with the position that, well, no, not even the position, sorry. There, it is an objective fact that the transitioning, the medical transitioning of children is a horrific Dr. Moreau-esque pseudoscientific experiment that is nothing short of brutal, there's nothing short of just brutality foisted upon children with a smiling face. Mm -hmm. Libertarians like this guy would ensure that that level of degenerate terror is allowed to keep happening to people and would not take any stop steps to stop it. There are horrible, evil things out there in the world and libertarians simply want us to be open to them affecting us. They want to take away all of, they want to take away the fences. They want to take away the sheepdogs and let the wolves prey on the rest of us because their ideology fundamentally does not allow for the existence of wolves. They want the wolves to prey on the sheep because they can then sleep well in their bed, knowing that they're pure and good, that they didn't try and hurt the wolves feelings, but there are wolves and there is evil and libertarianism simply opens the doors and leaves the gates unbarred and unguarded. You know, um, I've got nothing better and I kind of want to leave the show at that. And that's exactly what we're going to do. So this week, just always remember, how can you be the sheepdog? I'm Aaron <laughs> from the East Coast. I'm Alan from the West Coast. And this is Wrong Think Radio. We'll see you all next week. <laughs>